guys know we've been in our uh, Art of Relationship series for the last number of weeks. And uh, today, uh, initially, we were going to kind of call this Lessons from the Last 25 Years because uh, Brenda and I will have been married 25 years in December. Uh, but as Brenda really started kind of uh, going back and, and, and thinking through, it really kind of turned into some things that uh, Brenda's learned over the last five decades. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to just share a little bit at the end, but most of this is actually what God kind of revealed to Brenda over the last couple of weeks uh, while I was in Israel with Austin, and uh, she was uh, preparing for this. And I'm super excited for you guys to get an opportunity to peer a little bit into our hearts, Um, some things that we've worked through as a couple, but also things that God's revealed and taught Brenda uh, over the last uh, nearly, not yet 50, but nearly uh, 50 years. And uh, last week, um, Aaron uh, was here with us and just did a phenomenal job of kind of explaining that if we're going to have proper relationships uh, with one another, uh, whether that's friendships or significant others or even our spouses, uh, we really have to make sure that our identity is grounded in our relationship as a child of God. And I thought that was so powerful. Uh, I actually listened to the message twice uh, in the last few days uh, just to be reminded. And, and I'm going to kind of bring that back at the very kind of end uh, of our time today, but I'm really going to turn it over to Brenda and uh, kind of let her, uh, I, I keep saying teach and she keeps saying no, no. share. Yeah. Um, so I am Brenda's not a teacher. Um, I'm not, well, I guess I'm, everyone teaches someone, so you are a teacher, but I'm not a preacher. Um, I can't exegete, that's a big word, yeah, I can't like take scripture out and like squeeze and, and expound upon that. Um, not true. Well, I'm I'm not seminary trained, I should say, or have PhDs and stuff like that. But I do give you permission, just want you guys to know, and give you permission to interject. And if I'm going, like, theologically wrong, please be like, hey, 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 let's bring that back. Oh, I'll bring the hammer. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, thank you for your grace, Matt. (laughs) Um, Okay, the first decade we are calling Sunday School and Marriage. Um, I have a diary... Look at this. I know, right? So cute. It has like a little keyhole type of thing here. And um, we should have a picture up there. So it's actually from March 21st. Here we go. Dear diary, this is 86, but I know this diary is only for a year, but I didn't write all of the days. Today in 1986. Well, you know all the people that I I said in 85 that I loved? Well, about Chuck, Jim, Jason, Gabe, Don. I just thought they were cute. They liked me too. But this boy, Corey, the boy I said I hated, well, he admitted that he loved me, and I love him too. I'll never like anyone out of boys better, so thanks. (laughs) I, yeah. I love- Brenda is 10 years old at this time too. I was eight, I was nine years old, shy of my 10 year, birthday, um, and I, I always ended my journal entries, my, my diary entries, so thanks. Like, <laughs> what did the diary do for me? So thanks. Um, <laughs> there is a picture of a tall stack of diaries. I actually found like four more last night, and I've been keeping one since eight years old, nine years old, and um, I'd like to share today what God has taught me over the years that I've put in these diaries. It's actually quite funny, some of the things that I wrote on there. But these are things through relationships, through almost nearly five decades of my life, that God has taught me things through counselors, through mentors, through 
I don't know, experiences, School of Hard Knocks, going actually through it, and um, like blogs and podcasts, things like that, and I would write them down. Um, just for you to know, this is not a marriage seminar. We by no means um, would ever think that we are qualified to give that. Um, and I'm just sharing, I'm just sharing my story. Now this is, starts with my parents. By no means did I have a stellar example of a marriage with my parents. I did think it was very sweet that when in the Philippines, where my parents met, um, my mom said to her boyfriend at that time, if you love me, you will come follow me. And he flew to America and met her, and four months, almost five months later, they got married. And that was so sweet and everything. But growing up, they would have these long, drawn-out, very loud, very dramatic fights. And what would happen is after these fights, it was like two or three weeks of silence. Like, it was like walking on eggshells. And maybe some of you experienced that, but it's two or three weeks. And there's five of us kids, and we're like, oh, mom and dad, they're fighting. It's two or three weeks. It's super quiet. And they wouldn't deal with these issues. And so they would think it would just kind of poof and disappear. As we know, that doesn't happen. And layers of resentment happen, and they start growing and growing. So I knew that that was my example, and I knew that I would have good luck in future relationships. In third or fourth grade, um, I had a Sunday school teacher. Her name was Mrs. Myers. And I don't know why we were talking about marriage in third or fourth grade, but she gave... As you do. As you do. Third or fourth grade. Yeah. But 40 years later, I still remember this, this story. Maybe it's because it's so concrete and so like, yeah, she had her fists. And she said, marriage is not competition, it's completion. And she's like, third graders, marriage is not competition, it's completion, and we're like, yeah. But honestly, I remember that to this day. And God must have wanted me to know that lesson because I was, was a very was. competitive person. Oh, that's kind to put it in the past tense. But I, I've, got, I have gotten, I've gotten so much better. Um, I think one of our biggest fights were because I was so competitive. And uh, Literally, our first year of marriage, uh, we were playing mini golf. And she walked off the course at the 17th hole. That's right. I had to go to the parking lot to get her back to finish the round just so that I could say I beat her. <laughs> saint. Right here, saint. So, yes, uh, super competitive. And um, I had to learn those lessons. Um, but, yes, I just, a little spoiler alert. If you guys have to prove that you're right and the person is wrong, and you do prove that, you don't really win in the end. I mean, you feel like, a, if they feel like a fool, so you're honestly not winning at the end. I should have celebrated torn strengths more in the early years of marriage instead of seeing, seeing them as ways to compete with him. That was very, very evident our first year. So the first lesson learned during the first year is marriage is not a competition, it is a completion. Don't you want to just try that right now? Go come ahead, on, you can come on, fist it up. Boom. See? Boom. Like, oh, that's it right there. There you go. Uh, second decade, the triangle. This is from another excerpt. Here we go. So this, this, this diary was like five years. It was like five <laughs> years, okay? The one-year diary that turned into six or so. Yes, okay. So second day, decade, 10 to 20 years old. <clears throat> Heartbreak from high school boyfriend. God has helped me a lot through this situation. He is the one, God, that will never fail me or break my heart. In actuality, Jesus Christ is my one and only true love. And this is wisdom from my brother Byron. Friendships are more reasonable and last a lot longer than going out. 
So this is kind of for my preteens and teens out there. I just want to leave this simply. Um, it is okay to be friends. You don't need to date. Not everyone in the world has a boyfriend and girlfriend, and it is okay to have friends. We called it. Yeah, we're not. We're not looking at any of our kids oh, in particular. Oh no, I'm, I'm looking at straight at all four of my kids right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. But yes, that that's simply put there. Um, but also, like my brother was a healthy person. So surrounding yourself with healthy people that can speak into your life, that have been there, and that can challenge you in that way. Well, Jesus became my Lord. Like he became my all. In college, it was my freshman year. I was nearly 19 years old. Um, I grew up in the church, but I didn't really accept Jesus Christ truly into my life until that time. Um, my not to like completely psychoanalyze myself, but my relationship with my dad was really quite unstable, and it really was insecure. And as humans, we have these five core needs. Security, identity, belonging, purpose, competency, and that in and of itself is like a whole other thing. But I did not have a lot of security at my home with my relationship with my earthly father. So I was crushing on a lot of boys, like crushing on a lot of boys. I, my journals were just like, this boy, this boy, this boy. And I was trying to fill a hole, and that is often what happens when you have an unstable relationship with parents, with, with the father. Um, and I saw... God also as somebody that I needed to impress, and I also felt like my dad, I was trying to earn his love, and I just couldn't, I just could not earn his love, so I hope that I would find it with boys. Well, in college, I saw this diagram that's up there, and it's a triangle. It's kind of like a relationship triangle, a marriage triangle. Um, so you see on the one side how husband and wife, or you could say it as you or the other person, <clears throat> and it's a very simple graphic, and I know some of the things like, do I even share this? this? is kind of silly. But God's like, no, this is foundational. If you are focusing on God, then, and he is focusing on God, then yes, you will naturally grow together stronger towards him. Did you want to expound upon that? You're crushing it. No, no, that's good. I didn't know. Like, Way better than you're crushing on boys. So. There you go. <laughs> so that was definitely foundational during my second decade. My second lesson during that decade, the more we pursue God, the closer we become to one another. That's good. I met Torin in college, fell in love, head, head over heels. I have a kind of a funny, funny thing in Philadelphia. Like, I did not um, know much about Michigan. I just thought, oh, that sounds like a great place to snowboard. I was really into that. And so I was like, I'm going to go to Michigan because there's a school named Calvin College there. And they had these... Um, Mailings? This, yeah, is the before, mailing. this is before she met me, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like they had these mailings. They would actually mail it to you and, um, of the, the college. And there was a bunch of cute soccer players in the front, like <laughs> all like muddy. And I'm like, I'm going to that school. I'm going to Kelvin. She thought Michigan had lots of mountains. Like, yeah. That's what was in. And we mountains and cute soccer boys. That's right. That's so. all I wanted. And we opened it. And in the front, this is so funny. It says something about like, like churches. Christian Reformed Churches of America. I'd never heard of that. That's not a thing on the East Coast. And my mom's like, oh, that sounds like a cult. So, <laughs> so we're not going to go. You're not even looking at that school. So we didn't look at Calvin. But anyway, ended up with my very cute soccer player husband anyway. So. She met me in Ohio, though, not, Ohio. not in Michigan. That's right. Yep. Um, third decade, we are I labeled ex expectations and forgiveness. 
Did you know there are four main myths that we often carry into marriage? Um, I'm going to read them pretty quickly here. Number one, we expect exactly the same things from marriage. Number two, everything good in our relationship will get better. Number three, everything bad in my life will disappear. And number four, my spouse will make me whole. This is from um, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts by Dr. Parrott. And the expectation in marriage was really something that kind of rocked my world. I gave into the myth that, number three, everything bad in my life will disappear. Well, surprise, no, that is not true. Um, I had the expectation that Torn was going to be all my guy friends and girlfriends and my brothers, because I have four brothers, all wrapped in one human, and that he was going to be, he was going to let everything disappear. It was going to be fantastic. We were going to live a blissful life. Um, I thought we were going to stay up late at night, play the guitar, sing worship songs, like every night, <laughs> and talk about just like very deep spiritual theological things. Um, but I, wasn't comp I was not even explaining my expectations, um, which were overblown, and my desires and my needs. Well, this, people, people cannot read your mind. Let me just put no, that there. Never. The other person cannot read your mind, and nor do you really want to know all of that. And that <laughs> yeah. was, uh, Would you really want them to, no, actually, though? If, that's, no. that's true. So that, that alone was really life-changing. So you got to understand, too, uh, Brenda and I had both gone to a Christian college, yeah. a Christian university in Ohio called Cedarville, um, which, uh, especially when, I mean, I'm sure it's true now, but when we were there, it, had a, it really did have a, a pretty great kind of spiritual greenhouse effect. Mm -hmm. So we have chapel every day, and you've got, you know, these great folks that you're staying in the dorms with that are, you know, you're, you're, you're like, just loving Jesus together, and so, like, you'll have, you know, a spontaneous worship thing will break out with you and your Well, she thought that that would, like, last for, like, well, that's just how life's supposed to be, like, and yeah. uh, so, like, he's going to stay up, and we're going to just talk about our dreams, and we're going to sing, and we're going to pray together, and <laughs> fall asleep at 2 a.m., and, you know, well, that... Yes. Didn't quite happen. That is right. Um, there is also a, like an illusion that those romantic feelings and the butterflies and the infatuation mm. will last forever and it will never fade. And kind of like in medicine, like if you have a pill, you have something called a half-life. It's like what is the time that 50% of that pill would be effective or will like be metabolized or excreted out of the, the body. So that's kind of like the romantic Can you feelings. tell you're talking to a nurse? There you go. So <laughs> like metabolized, excreted yeah. out of the body. There you go. So like you have half-lives of romantic feelings. You have half-lives of this infatuation butterfly feelings. There are some studies that show that that's at like three months, half-life. There's some studies that show that after two years, those feelings begin to fade. Well, either way, it fades and then you start seeing the other person for who they truly are. I love the um, statement by a guy named Stanley Hauerwas. He's a theologian. He says, the challenge of marriage is learning to care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. That's Oh, that's so good. That's Say it again. Good. Say it one more time. The challenge in marriage is learning to care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. I thought I was going to be like the exception. We were two, we were, we are one person in two different bodies, like complete package here. But when you find out, whoa, our motivations are different, our personalities are different, that is very eye-opening. We got married December 19th, 1998. I got a, a card from Diane and John Spadafora that day, 
And I thought, oh, this is crazy. These are friends of hers from church that she grew up with. Yes, and kind of mentored me. They were neighbors as well. Older couple. And uh, in it was Ephesians 4.32. And it says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that is a verse that not only do I let my kids memorize, but God brings back to me over and over and over and over again of nearly 25 years. When I saw that verse on the card that they gave me, they had it like underlined and highlighted and like sirens and like, so like there it was, was just, in all caps. it was all caps, well, we gotta forgive, tell them which yeah, forgive. forgive one another. And I'm like, yeah. oh my, they must have a terrible marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like poor souls. Yeah. Like they, oh. they have got to be fighting all the time because they have to forgive one another. Oh no, that's not going to be me and Tor and not, not our blissful marriage. But now I understand. Um, there's another verse in Matthew 8, 10, 21 and 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Well, I'm, I love math. Maybe it's because I'm Asian, but... <laughs> can I say that? <laughs> I'm Asian, so I can say that. Anyway, um, that's a very big generalization. Um, but 70 times 7 is 490 people. So I had 490 times that I could forgive him. So I'm like keeping track of record of wrongs. Obviously, that's not right, 1 Corinthians 13. Like, I was keeping track of it. And, so and Brenda, I, is, she's a, she's a, a list maker. List, yeah, she makes lists yeah. and she, she keeps them and she tends to remember. Part is just different personalities, yeah. and that is her personality. Yeah. And when she was first heard it, she's like, yeah, all right. Yep, I'm going to work on the 490 times. And she realized, like, she's like 280 in, and it's been like two months. (laughs) But it does go back to the whole competition completion thing. Lesson three was forgiveness is not an equation. It's a way of life. Fourth decade, relearning marriage. Uh, Moving on to this journal, March 23rd, 2008. Dear God, I can't, feel, I can't feel like I can do this mothering thing. Three kids overwhelm me. And I was going to have four kids, you guys. Like, I did not know it at the time. I am so scared right now. I feel out of control, and I need your help. I am anxious. I am desperate for you. And it talks about, like, I fear. uses the words worry. It uses the words feel guilty. Like, that's such mom stuff right there, of worrying about your kids, of fearing for your kids, of um, feeling guilty, that mom guilt thing, the enemy can really grab onto that. Um, Well, at the time, we had a lot of kids running and crawling through our home, and God was still teaching things, even we were like totally sleep deprived. We continued to see a marriage counselor just to kind of give us tune-ups in our marriage, but we also started doing premarital counseling to couples, and we really didn't know what we were doing. So... Bless those couples. Yes. Like, honestly, we, we went through preparing and rich, which is a great, great marriage assessment type of thing. But then um, we went through a book called Catching Foxes by Dr. John Henderson. It's a great book. I recommend it. It's very heady. Um, definitely theologically, yeah, like thick, thick, thick. Um, and I learned a lot. I feel like I should have learned this stuff before I got married. Um, <laughs> but... The whole purpose of marriage, I learned in this decade. 
my fourth decade in life. Now, God, in Genesis 2, made man. Man is an image of God. God is three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then you have man. He's the image of, of man. So he made Adam, and Adam... Man is the image of God. Man is the image of God. Sorry, yes, that's why I need, I need you here. Hammer. That's right. <laughs> and God knew that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And even though Adam was... We had this discussion last night. Even though Adam didn't feel lonely, and Torin thought maybe he did... But he, like, fully had God in his presence. Um, The problem was that God saw in Adam the inability to fully display the image of God by being alone. And what he had was a future um, reality, a future picture of what it was going to be. It was going to be a marriage of the church and Jesus Christ together. Total mystery. Doesn't make sense. Paul even says that. Paul? Mm -hmm. Even says that in Ephesians. There you go. That it was just this picture that... Well, at that time, I had a really hard time understanding that Torm is a gift. I, well, I mean, I'm just being honest. Did you need to say it that, like, matter-of-factly, though? <laughs> but I, what helped was that I needed to see him as, like, there was a full weight and responsibility and a gift, and this gift was meant to drive me back to the Lord. Mm. That's what I meant. So to, like, drive myself back to the Lord for mercy and help. Yeah. Lesson four was perseverance. Do the hard work. It does get better. This, this was actually uh, a decade for Brenda and I that um, there was some great, amazing things that happened. We saw uh, the birth of three of our children, um, uh, the adoption uh, of our youngest. Um, it was like some of the highest highs that, that we experienced. Uh, but there was some really low lows, too. Um, there is a time where, as uh, young parents, where you're just, you're just trying to survive. And it takes a toll on your marriage as well. Um, we were doing a lot of the right things, or at least trying to, uh, but we were feeling it. And uh, there will be times in your relationships where you're wondering, like, I don't know how this is going to work. This is, just feels like it's too much, it's too hard. Mm-hmm. This is why that concept of perseverance is so needed and necessary. Mm-hmm. There are times you just got to hold on because it does get better. Yeah. And it is worth it. And even when it feels like, ah, I don't, I don't even know if I like this person. They don't feel like a gift, as Brenda just said. Um, you keep moving towards the things that you know are true, even when you don't feel like they're true. Yes. And they become true. God's word does not lie. Yes. That's good. Fifth decade, we titled Going Deeper. Um, God had given me the opportunity to meet with a spiritual director. Some of you might not know what that term is. It might sound a little weird, but she happened to be a licensed counselor as well. And what a spiritual director is that what they do is that they um, listen to God on your behalf and they help you discern God's voice in your life. Well, God revealed a big thing in my life, a foothold, namely pride. And in the Bible, like I'm the kind of person that Jesus even talked about to watch out for that person. Like I could look like I have it all together, I could be fully confident, but inside, really struggling with a lot of um, negative self-talk, really struggling with um, just 
self-worth issues that you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, no, Brenda, and Brie was my college name. Brie, she's got it all together, whatever, things like that. No, there was, there was a lot of inner dialogue that was not pleasing to him. Um, so when they were, we were singing that song earlier, talking about, look where my chains have gone, during that time, God grabbed hold of those chains and ripped them. I found such freedom, um, freeing things of, uh, of those, like the unforgiveness of things that were done to me as a young child, but also wrong thinking and negative self-talk. Um, in Matthew 7, 3 and 4, it talks about the plank in your own eye. I didn't write that down here, so I better read it here. This is Jesus speaking. <clears throat> Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take a speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Like I said, I can kind of tend to be pretty prejudgy and self-critical and prideful, pretty self-righteous. And God, in his kindness, allowed me to learn humility. And I'm not like, oh, I've arrived, I've learned humility. But really, humility is the antidote to pride. Um, and I just challenge you to ask God to reveal what those hidden sins are in your life, to ask him to what is the work that he needs to do in your life. Ask him to soften your heart and to listen to him. And he can do that, and he can be really gentle to you as well when he reveals that. Lesson five was finding freedom requires humility. As a nurse, and I'll end with this um, story, as a nurse, I have the opportunity to see patients who are at a very vulnerable, fragile time in their life. And people tend to share things and say things at that time of their life and become very, very reflective. Well, my favorite place to be in the hospital is in the unit when um, the patients have like their ventilator taken off, they have their NG tubes, their, their masks taken off, they have all like most monitors taken off, okay? And their walkie-talkies, and that's like nurse talk for they can walk and they can talk. And uh, <laughs> all the nurses out there are like, yeah, we love walkie-talkies. Or maybe, actually, some don't like walkie-talkies. So <laughs> that's why you're... Some are like, no, I don't want them to talk. I don't want them that's to... That's right. So surgery and ICU is for you. Um, <laughs> well, if I'm able to share Jesus and offer some healing, then I feel like it's a, it's a win shift for me. Well, this one time, I walked into my patient's room, and um, I said, Mr. R, like, are you going to have friends or family come later on? And I could see he had, like, tears in his eyes. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I have some like mini fires I got to take care of. That means like emergencies I have to take care of. And I just wanted a really quick, yes, I have friends coming, whatever. But he had tears in his eyes. Like, I was like, well, okay, hold off there. I have to come back, okay? I came back and he had tissues and I was like, hey, can we talk? And he, we talked and he's like, became very, very reflective and he had a lot of regrets in his life. And he wasn't much older than me. And he said, you know, I'm so glad that I had money to give my kids experiences, and I had money to give them um, toys and trips and all these things for me, for me and um, my family, but I have such regret. I wish I would have spent more time trying to save my marriage. And I can't tell you how many times I hear that from my patients, to focus on the things that you do have, to be grateful for what you have, because that is an antidote even against negative thinking and depression. Yeah. 
Um, not that that's going to solve everything. But he gave into the world's lie that things and experiences were going to fill this hole. And he wished he would have had time, and not time, but given time to save his marriage. Um, so Torrin could sometimes tell when I maybe had, maybe you don't know this, like if I'm coming home and I'm like, so lovey on him and so good, then he's like, oh, he must have had a... I pray for desperate people in the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> yeah, yes. So that does happen. But may that be a reflection and uh, a challenge to you to do the same. Yeah. Thanks, babe. Yeah. Yeah, there is something that I think uh, it's easy to give in to the lie that uh, this is hard. And so uh, if I just get out of it... Mm that everything's going to be better. Um, but it rarely is. I'm not saying that there's uh, uh, every single marriage ought to survive. Uh, I don't. I know it's God's desire. Uh, but in a broken world, um, God allowed for a divorce at times. But I do believe that that's actually uh, has a lot more to do with our heart. A hardened heart is actually what uh, um, Jesus says is so broken. And his desire is that we would fight through it and for it because uh, simply running from our problems, thinking that that's somehow going to make them go away or get better, uh, is just not true. It's actually a lie. It's a lie that our culture continues to, to pour out in, into uh, our lives all the time, from television shows to commercials to uh, uh, every which way that you know what, if it's not working for you, you deserve to be happy. And so just go find your happiness. The problem is, is that our happiness is often uh, uh, intimately connected to our relationships. And so fighting for our relationships rather than hoping that somebody else is going to make up for uh, uh, the missing pieces uh, is, a, is a lie. It just doesn't work. So we have to pursue it. We've got to keep going, persevere. That's been true for Brenda and I. Um, our marriage has not, uh, it's, I, it's funny if you ask, I think our marriage has like been awesome all the time, but I tend to see the positive stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Brenda's personality is a little, is more realistic, which is what we call pessimists. They call themselves realists. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so she tends to remember the hard stuff. Uh, the truth is both of those things are there. And we have had to fight for one another and pursue one another. And it hasn't always been easy. Um, some of the greatest security I've had in our marriage has actually come in this last decade. Uh, I think I'd shared this before. I had times where um, I'd wake up having a nightmare that uh, Brenda had left me because I knew I didn't measure up. I mean, Brenda talks about the pride that she had. Uh, that pride actually comes because she's such a great person, honestly. She checks the boxes. She does the lists. She's way better at it than I am. And I've often felt like oh, I'm not worthy enough, which is really more connected to how I think about my relationship mm. with God. Yeah. But then I then take that and I place that on her. And so she does all the right things. She checks the boxes and I'm just not as good. And so therefore, she's going to realize that and she's mm. going to want to go find somebody else who's better. That's more worthy of her awesomeness. Mm. And... <laughs> Somebody laughed. Thank you. I feel. No. Well, I mean, the reality is the grass is not greener. 
Yeah. Mm. What is, what is uh, the great theologian uh, Justin Bieber said, the grass is greener where you water it. So. There you go. Um, there you go. <laughs> so I want to uh, close our time with, um, with one thing that I learned uh, actually uh, the last couple weeks when I was in Israel. Um, every single day when we woke up, and, uh, um, but when we started our day and when we ended our day, um, we said the Shema. The Shema is a prayer uh, that we're fairly confident Jesus recited every single day of his life, at least as when he could talk to the last day of his life. And uh, I'm going to ask you guys to recite it with me. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to stand up, and we're going to recite it. This actually comes from Mark chapter 12. Verses 29 through 31, and it's this. Please say it out loud with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you. You may be seated. Here's what I uh, learned as I was thinking through that. Um, If you want flourishing relationships and a flourishing marriage, then this prayer can't be something that simply sits in your head. It's got to be something that you allow in your head to fall onto your heart and with God's grace to break it open. Loving God is what you actually want in your life and your spouse. You want to know why our marriage has survived? It's because my wife loves Jesus. And so there's three things that I want to leave you with this morning real quickly. If you're not married, ask God to bring you friends that love Jesus more than you do. What do they say? You are the average of your five closest friends. If you are in a relationship or think marriage may be in your future, then ask God to bring you a spouse who loves Jesus more than you do. I have that. That's why our marriage has survived. And it is my prayer that Brenda can say the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the last thing is, if you are married, ask God to help you love Jesus even more than your spouse does. You'll notice a shift there in the last one. See, because if you are married, then God has given you the gift of your spouse for you to now love serve, and passionately care that they would become more like Jesus, mature in Christ. And so it's no longer me asking God to bring me people who love Jesus more than I do. Now it's about me asking God to help me love Jesus more than Brenda does so that I can then love her with my whole heart. You see, there is a move once we're married to it no longer being about what I need, but being about what she needs. And if I can love her with a sacrificial love, I promise you that will be transformational for Brenda, and I will experience the benefits of that transformation. Mm, yeah. So friends, thanks for letting us share a little bit of what God's taught us. We want to close our time with one more worship song because it is God who loved us that has now caused us to love him. 
And when we actually understand the love of God and whose child we are, as Aaron so beautifully shared with us last week, that begins to infiltrate our hearts and gives us the ability to love others as Christ has loved us. And friends, that's where the good stuff is. Hmm. Father, let us be people who know your love that we may be able to pass it along to those around us.